Welcome back to the Noggin Notes podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jake Wiskirchen, and this week we're talking about couples counseling. I took a little bit of a different approach on this, and I didn't get into any uh, particular details or cite any studies. All I did was uh, give an overview of what it might look like and when you might need to seek it, and um, I, I left with a, a little bit of a tidbit on on the end about how it might the experience might go, as well as uh, something you could take home and apply to your own life. So, um, hope it hope you find it useful. It was kind of a something interesting that I um, I was asked to do, and uh, I'm actually glad that I did it. So. Find out more about uh, Noggin Notes at nogginnotes.com. You can also, uh, if you haven't downloaded the app yet and you only know us as a podcast, please download the app. It's very, very useful. And uh, you can use it to gain insight into your own issues and your own psyche. And also check out Zephyr Wellness, which is a company I co-own here in Reno and Sparks, Nevada. And we also operate in Lovelock, Nevada at zephyrwellness.org. And that's where you can find out more about us. We're going to be launching a new website pretty soon where... We'll hopefully go as near to paperless as possible with our uh, intake forms and our appointment scheduling and stuff like that. So at least that's that's the vision anyway. Might might take a little while to get to, uh, fully up and running, but I'm pretty excited about that. It's all part of the way that we innovate new ways to approach mental wellness in our community. ZephyrWellness.org, NogginNotes.com. Download the app if you don't have it. And thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, uh, reach out to us at info at NogginNotes.com or info at ZephyrWellness.org if you have questions or feedback, and we'll be happy to weave that in on a future podcast. In the meantime, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or Google Play so that other people can access this information for free as well so that they may improve their own lives. And without further delay, here is Couples Counseling, a brief overview by me with no other guests on the Noggin Notes podcast. So I was asked recently to do a podcast on couples counseling, and I like to be prepared when I can for stuff like this. I don't just like to go off the cuff, although sometimes that turns out to be some of the the best work we do is when we just trust our own knowledge base and our own instincts. But in this case, I, I, I wanted to be a little bit more prepared and I, I started digging through some articles and flipping through some old books and whatnot. And then I realized that that's probably not what people want. Somebody told me a while back that uh, what makes this podcast unique, just like every other podcast is unique, is that it's the author's own per- opinion or perspective. And so although I don't like using third person references for myself, um, I will here. And basically what I was told is, if people are tuning in to hear Jake Wiskirchen, don't let Jake give them a literature review of other people's stuff. And so I don't want to do that. Um, I actually set aside all the, the magazines and the articles and the um, and, and the books that I'd, I'd read, and I'm just going to provide a context for couples counseling that comes from my perspective and my orientation. Uh, and I think this is going to be valuable because the types of people who listen to this program typically are the lay people who aren't familiar with the profession and are just trying to get some sort of, uh, you know, nugget of wisdom or insight and, or can motivate to go make change. Uh, and the other side of the, the uh, audience is, is professionals and typically they're students or, or interns, uh, or, or fully licensed professionals like myself, and they tune in to hear a different perspective. So I'm going to take um, the the perspective of basically being a supervisor in this field and lay out a couple of anecdotes and I'll give you I'll give you a basic walkthrough of what couples counseling is and how people come into it and why it's important versus individual counseling. So we'll start there 
And why would you seek couples counseling as opposed to uh, the both of you going and getting your own individual treatment? And that's a very, very valid statement. And it's a very, very valid argument to make is, you know, why, why, why do couples counseling? Well, in a nutshell, if you're committed to the relationship and you're committed to monogamy and you want to work on this thing that you call a uh, committed relationship together, then you want to do it together because it being together in the room when all the uh, difficult topics are addressed actually creates and fosters and promotes and develops intimacy. And intimacy is a key component of connection with another human being. It's not just the committed romantic relationships that need intimacy. Intimacy is required in almost every relationship we'll ever have, at least to some degree. Now, it's probably beneficial to start by defining intimacy. So the way that I look at intimacy is if you think back and if if you listen to earlier podcasts of this show, you'll know that I talk a lot about emotions and specifically the emotional wave. So in order to ride through an emotional wave, you have to get through the, the, the middle of it. So there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to every emotional experience. I mean, there's really a beginning, a middle, and an end to every experience. But specific to emotions, the middle is where we lose control neurologically over whether or not we feel something. And getting through that crest, losing control, promotes intimacy because it promotes vulnerability. If you can tolerate an emotional experience and know that you can come out the other side okay, and you can come out the other side and the world hasn't spun off its axis, and and you're you're fine, what you know then after that is that you can do it again, and you may, may be able to do it to a bigger degree. Well, what ends up happening in couple relationships is we may have an experience or a series of experiences uh, across the course of our lifetime with other people, and... I'm assuming that people listening to this podcast have had interactions with other people. And some of those people have left you stinging because they didn't treat you right. They let you down. They disappointed you. They hurt you in some way. Well, what we tend to do is instead of allowing ourselves to be vulnerable the next time around, in other words, hitting the crest of that emotional wave, what we tend to do is we bail out a little bit too early and then we shut down the possibility for real authentic connectivity, which is what happens when we become vulnerable. When we're vulnerable, vulnerability invites risk. Risk comes with the possibility of pain. I don't want to experience any more pain uh, more than the other guy, but I have to at least risk experiencing pain if I want to connect authentically in a deep way with another human being. So I don't want to let my history of bad relationships drive my present or my future encounters because truly they will all be unique unto themselves. I can't let a former boss influence the way that I interact with my current boss because they're separate people, they're separate circumstances, totally different companies. But that's what we tend to do, right? We tend to to lull ourselves into this um, complacency where we paint everybody with the same broad brush and that broad brush was dipped in, in our history. It wasn't dipped in our present. So when we're painting people, we want to we want to give them the, the, the full respect that they're due and not um, put a box over them that suggests that they're going to be just like every other experience we've ever had. Now, the interesting thing about the brain is that the brain tends to hold on to the to the negative stuff and use it as a defense mechanism to avoid entering to new relationships in the future, which sounds great. But the analogy that I use is is very much like a castle. So picture in your head a really mighty castle um, perched on, you know, maybe the side of a hill 
and it's very well fortified, right? It may even have a moat around it, probably not on the side of a hill, but, but if it's down in a valley, it has a moat around it, and there's no way to get in or out of the castle. It's very well fortified. All the people inside are safe. Good. Now, how do you get supplies into that castle? You have to open the gate. You have to lower the drawbridge. Lowering the drawbridge and opening the gate invites risk. It makes the castle vulnerable. But without doing that, the people inside will die. And in a matter of speaking, metaphorically speaking, when we don't open ourselves up to new experiences with new people in an attempt to connect authentically, we internally, we die a little bit and we rot from the inside out. Because we think we're being protected, but really we're not getting the fuel that we need in the form of connection with other human beings when we just close ourselves off out of the fear that we're somehow going to get hurt in the future. I got a footnote to that. Guess what? You will get hurt in the future. And whether or not you, your limbic brain you know, wants to, you, or I'm sorry, your cognitive brain wants to believe that you're being hurt, your limbic brain tells you that you are because that's what emotion does. It informs us that something is happening. And if pain occurs, you're going to feel it. So what we want to do in couples counseling is we want to take that risk and we want to lay it right on the table and say, this is real, this is possible. And if you expect to connect with this significant other that you're bringing into the room for treatment, we have to acknowledge that this pain is possible. Now, what we want to try to do through couples counseling is relatively reassure both parties that they're safe. Now, I can only speak for myself as the clinician that I'm going to be safe for these people. And I can make them the promise. They don't have to believe it because maybe they've been hurt by other clinicians even. But all I can do is control my behavior. I can't speak on behalf of the husband for the wife and say, he won't hurt you if you, if you trust him with this information. And I can't say the same thing you know, for the wife to the husband. I can't make that promise because I'm not those people. But hopefully by my modeling of that, by saying this, this is a safe space and I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to tongue lash you for, for your mistakes in the past, maybe then they too will believe in that and say, okay, I can, I can extend the olive branch. I can grant some peace and grace and forgiveness to the other person. But ultimately what we're trying to do is cultivate an environment that is conducive to being vulnerable so that the person can ride through some risk, lay out what they need to lay out, and then come through the other side knowing that they were safe, that they were not hurt. And that's what we really want to try to do in couples counseling. Now, why won't this work in individual counseling? I didn't say it wouldn't. <laughs> but we have a large body of research that suggests that if a couple is in distress and they seek individual treatment, that's a generally a good predictor of divorce. You're not going to end up coming together through that process. You're, end up, you're going to end up finding out... Uh, who you are individually and as an individual what what typically tends to happen is you find out that you don't need the coupled relationship that has all the stress along with it because you're not addressing the stress of the couple relationship in your individual session you can't by definition the other half of the couple isn't there so as much as you'd like to think that you're wrapping your head around these things in your individual sessions Research indicates that, that the more likely outcome is a breakup. So we don't typically send people to their corners, so to speak, to quote-unquote work on their individual issues only to quote-unquote come back together later. That, that typically doesn't work. Typically what we want to do is we want to invite people in, lay out their most vulnerable stuff, and work through it together because that breeds intimacy. That breeds togetherness. And as one of the preeminent authors on couples counseling, John Gottman, would say, we want to turn toward. We don't want to turn away. 
turning toward can be very scary because it brings in that intimacy that maybe you haven't been practicing for a, for quite some time. Maybe you've never known it. Um, if you're raised in an environment where parents didn't display intimacy, they didn't display affection, they didn't display vulnerability, they didn't validate your emotions as you were growing up, they weren't there to, for you in a compassionate way, then you are going to in turn have trouble extending that to others in every relationship that you have from coworkers to best friends to teammates to right down to your, your spouse or your, your significant other. So um, we want to be mindful of our upbringing, but we don't want to necessarily think that we can just solve the couple problem in an individual session by simply dealing with, you know, quote unquote, my own baggage. Um, if you're really invested in the relationship, your significant other needs to understand and know that baggage, not to help you carry it, but so that they can meet you compassionately through it while you struggle together. And chances are pretty strong that once you lay that out there and you, you invite the vulnerability um, and, you, and your partner says, I get it, I totally understand why you're, you've been doing what you've been doing and why we don't connect the way that we want to connect, that in and of itself can be very validating and can often relieve the, the burden of thinking that one is even carrying baggage. So um, whether or not it's, a, it's an addiction problem of some sort, all the way up to you know, bad behavior across to um, be, uh, parenting issues that aren't being resolved, no matter what the internal struggle is of the individual in the couple relationship, if you lay that stuff out and the other half of the couple says, okay, I get it, that makes sense to me, um, now let's work on it together. Chances are pretty good that, that that process in and of itself will relieve a lot of the stress. So what we want to do in couples counseling is we want to turn people toward each other. And this isn't some big um, drastic exercise right from the outset where we say, here, give us your deep and, deepest and darkest. Um, in fact, there might be some stuff that you just don't even want to address, uh, and that's fine. You want to keep stuff private. That's, that's up to you. A lot of people have a lot of good reasons for not sharing things with their spouse ranging from they want to protect their spouse's psyche. They don't want to, you know, share stories that are vivid and, and grotesque um, because they don't want to risk damaging the other person. And that's all well and good. You can keep that stuff private. You can work on stuff individually while simultaneously working on your couple relationship too. Um, what I'm saying is that we don't want to advocate for individual work in lieu of the couple work because if the couple relationship is important you should work on that together and that's actually that actually promotes the fastest healing is when two people heal together um the 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 dramatic facing forward of of both people in a couple session can be very very powerful almost almost what a traumatic experience does to an individual's um inability to process and grow um, the same level of power can be found in a couple's, uh, in a couple therapy session in the way of promoting healing and pushing people forward. It's, it's very, I mean, I hesitate to call it magical, but, but it, it really is sometimes it seems, it seems quite, uh, wonderful and quite miraculous when I see couples who, um, who move forward together because they've pushed through the, the fear that's been blocking the intimacy. So, um, that's, that's in concept what ends up happening. I could get into some anecdotes about what it might look like, but before I, I get there and if I get there, I don't know, I'm just kind of rambling, but, um, I want to talk about how, how you might know that you're, uh, you're in need of, of couple counseling. So, one excellent predictor is that you've stopped talking. Now I know that the typical, indicators are that you fight too much. Um, and that may be one if the, if the 
marriage or the or the relationship is in constant chaos and constant distress and and you're always fighting then yes that's that needs to be looked at but arguing is actually not necessarily a red flag um, arguing without resolution is is a red flag arguing uh, so that one person is always winning is a red flag or even arguing to win at all that's not why we argue what we are what we should argue about is to flex out ideas and um, and debate things now if it's a heated argument because you're tired or you're hungry or uh, you know you didn't get enough sleep or whatever that, that that's totally different um, and we want to be mindful of that stuff we want to be mindful of the physiological underpinnings of why we argue but if you if you're just finding that you argue about the same stuff that might be worth examining if you find that you're arguing about uh, oh, to, to change another person's mind that might be worth examining but Arguing is actually a very healthy way of communicating. It means that you're not internalizing. So when I said that you find that you're not talking about things, I don't mean that you're just going, um, you know, you got overlapping schedules and the kids are uh, running you into the ground and and you just don't have time. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is um, mind reading, uh, missing expectations, uh, silent treatments, that kind of thing. If you're just brooding and you're not communicating, that's what I mean. If you find that you're not talking, that's probably a good indicator that you need to get into the session and figure out what's what's gone sideways, especially if it represents a departure from what's normal. And that's uh, red flag number two. So if you notice that something has, has departed from what you're used to seeing, so um, if you used to go out a lot and you had a good time, uh, and then you you just suddenly don't anymore, and neither one of you can figure it out. That's probably time to hire a professional and and go talk to him. Uh, and in that kind of situation, the the work is usually pretty quick, unless there's uh, issues of infidelity, for example, that, um, that that don't come to the surface, and one partner is distracted, and that's why they're not hanging out anymore because you know time's being spent elsewhere. Um, usually that the resolution is pretty quick. So it might be just, holy cow, I didn't realize that, you know, I was neglecting my family because I was spending all this time at work. Um, I'm sorry, I'll make some immediate adjustments. And and that in and of itself, just simply acknowledging it, a- admitting the, the fault, uh, seeking forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, and then, of course, making the, the correction um, can, can go very fast. I mean, one to four sessions sometimes that, you know, you can pivot things pretty quickly. Um, so, a third red flag that you want to look for uh, that you might need couples counseling is if you have fundamental disagreements that suddenly arise. So, for example, I've known people who have been married for several years and then they decide to have children and they never bothered to talk about a parenting philosophy. And I'm guessing that if people are listening to this, it can, I can hear some stomachs dropping because I just said parenting philosophy and people are going, uh, am I supposed to have one? <laughs> yes, you should have a parenting philosophy. Uh, if you don't... Um, that's a good reason to go into couples counseling. And, and it, the advice obviously would be to seek out a, a family therapist uh, because inevitably those people would know how to do couples treatment as well. And you're going to want to find uh, on the profile something that says couples treatment, parenting, family therapy, you know, because they're all going to be interwoven together. Some people, that's not their bailiwick, and that's fine. Some people are just really good at um, doing individual work, uh, delving into trauma histories, and they have no desire to, to work into the the many people in the same room type realm, uh, and that's fine. So when you seek out a, a couples therapist for a parenting philosophy, you want to find somebody who who deals in families, and you want to you want they'll probably announce that on their website or their their psychologytoday.com page. 
uh, it'll say, you know, work, work with families, uh, that kind of thing. So, uh, and children, most, most people who work with children will have an understanding of how families operate because inevitably they're going to be consulting with the parents as they work with the children and they're going to have some sort of, uh, parenting background. So, so anybody in that realm is going to be pretty good. It, it, it doesn't necessarily matter the designation after the name. Um, certainly a marriage and family therapist by license would by default, probably <laughs> it'd be somebody you could go to, but there's lots of clinical social workers, psychologists, uh, licensed professional counselors, uh, mental health counselors, and so forth. Lots of people who know lots of things about parenting, parenting philosophies, couples counseling, and families that don't necessarily have the the uh, the license to go with it. So um, pay attention to the the um, history and the and the experience on that. But when you go in and you, and you try to develop your your parenting philosophy. Uh, state that at the outset. Uh, it, it always helps when you go into your session and you tell the clinician what you guys want to work on first so that you're not playing a, a, a guessing game for the first you know, couple of hours that you're getting to know each other. It's good, it's good to have an idea when you go in. So a fourth red flag is um, a sudden, sudden lack of meeting each other's needs. And what I mean by that is um, virtually anything. Uh, sorry to be so vague about it, but I'm, as I'm recording this, I've got many things roiling through my head and I'm looking around my house and it could be, it could range anywhere from failing to cook the favorite meal that you used to cook to, um, not, uh, having sex as often, not, not doing intimate things, not going on dates, um, buying the wrong gift. Uh, and, and again, I want to emphasize that these would represent departures from what was usual or typical before. Um, this isn't something, I mean, it could be something where you just, you know, you had a, uh, an immediate interest in each other and you rushed out and you got married after six weeks of meeting. And then, you know, three years later, you're like, Oh man, all that, um, puppy love stuff just wore off. Well, yeah, that can happen too. If you, if you make life altering decisions, like getting married, uh, in the throes of, of interest or excitement, as opposed to fundamental, core values, that can certainly, that can certainly, um, be a problem too. But that, that generally what we're talking about is you want to, you want to look for a departure from what is normal and that'll drive you into, into treatment. Um, so if you start noticing that your, your spouse or your partner is no longer attending to your needs, that's a good, good indicator that you probably need to seek, um, a, a licensed professional's help over that because then they can delve in and figure out what went wrong and then um, recorrect the course. Um, and again, I'm not, I didn't want to get into modalities or theories or, or histories or, or names in the profession. I did mention John Gottman because he's, he's a pretty easy read and his, his books are very, very powerful and, and useful. And his research, it's all research-based too, which is really nice. It's not just uh, in theory. So, um, but I, I don't want to delve into all the, the, the family systems people and stuff. I just want to give a brief overview of what couples counseling is, how you might find yourself uh, seeking it, and then what to expect when you're in there. So I, I mentioned I might use some anecdotes. So here's an anecdote. Um, we'll say that, uh, and this is just to illustrate how couples counseling works. So a couple walks into my office, for example, and they say, you know, hi, I'm Bob, I'm Terry. Uh, hello, I'm Jake. Nice to meet you both. Uh, have a seat. What brings you in today? And immediately they both start talking and saying, well, he said this and then she said this and they don't listen to each other and they don't pay attention to each other and everything's a mess, right? And they're just, and, and then the big D comes out. We just don't know if we want to get divorced. Well, if you're leading with the idea that you're going to get divorced, it's a pretty good indicator to me that, that things are pretty serious. But the really cool thing is in my mind, as I'm listening to this, they're here. 
and they're pro and they're so passionate and they're so fired up. It sounds to me like both of them just want to be heard. And because they're in my office, they're probably not just rubber stamping it on the way to divorce to say, yep, we tried that and it didn't work. Now, sometimes that happens, but typically that's not the case. Typically people who take time out of both schedules, align both schedules and volunteer to pay some good money to go sit down and seek help are pretty generally committed every once in a long while you'll get somebody who's in there just to, to check the box on the way to divorce to say, see, I've tried everything, and then they blame it on, on counseling as a profession as a whole. But those are pretty rare. So if you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out whether or not you want to come in, um, I would say go for it because if, if it's even in your mind, do it now before the problem worsens. But back to my couple. So they're, they're passionate, they're fired up, they're arguing, um, they're trying to convince me that both of their sides needs to be listened to, and I, and I agree, I think both sides do need to be listened to. So the first thing I would do is I would calm them down and I would say, listen, just pause, breathe, look at me. Okay, now, here's what we need to do. We need to listen to each other, okay? Bob, you go first. And then Terry doesn't get to speak while Bob's talking. And then I'll say, great, Terry, you, you speak. And then Bob doesn't get to speak while Terry's talking. And I hear this stuff, and then I might or might not repackage it and say, so what I'm hearing from Bob is this. And again, they don't get to respond. And then I say, what I'm hearing from Terry is this. And I do that simply because I want them to hear what's being communicated from them to me. Because I'm a, I'm a disinterested third party for, for all intent and purpose. I have no knowledge of them. I have no preconceived notions. I'm just simply um, re regurgitating back to them what I think they're saying. Um, I have no vested interest in warping that or manipulating it all. So then I will say, is that more or less accurate? And I'm pretty good at this. So, so typically people say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to say. And then what I'll do is I'll say, great. Now, Bob, look at Terry, Terry, look at Bob, look each other in the eyes. And what I'm doing when I do that is I'm trying to force that intimacy. I'm trying to make them be vulnerable to each other. Looking at somebody in the eye is very challenging if you have a vested interest in that person. If you don't have a vested interest in that person, looking someone in the eye is common sense. It's common practice. It's, it's good manners. But if you have a vested interest in that person, there's a heightened emotional state and there's something on the line, it's really hard to maintain that eye contact because it's so vulnerable. So chances are pretty good that if they've been fighting for a while and they've come into therapy, uh, now they're getting treatment. If I ask them to do that, they're not going to be able to maintain eye contact for very long without either A, looking away, B, getting angry at me for making him do it, or C, starting to giggle, which is really cute. Uh, I enjoy that sometimes. But I'll make them look at each other and then I'll say, all right, Bob, tell Terry what you just told me. And then I'll have Terry repeat back what she heard Bob say. And then I'll do the same thing with Terry and say, you know, Terry, say to Bob what you need to say. And I'll, what I'm doing there is I'm getting them to practice being vulnerable, having an intimate moment, exchanging information, and knowing that they can be safe. Neither one's going to attack the other in my office because I'm not going to let it happen. And if that starts to happen, and it does, I jump in. That's what they're paying me for. I jump in and go, whoa, 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 hold on. Do you notice what just happened there? You cut off Terry and you invalidated her. Now, we don't want to go there because that's how we got to this point. Okay, so, so let's, just, let's just let her say her piece. And then Bob usually goes, yeah, you're right, sorry. Um, and if they have a problem with that, I'll just remind them that they are paying me to do exactly that because it's pretty, it's pretty frustrating to be interrupted, especially um, by you know me, who they just met 
10 minutes ago and has no business being in their lives except they've asked me to. So prepare for that kind of thing. Prepare for it to be a very frustrating session um, because your pattern of, of communication has probably devolved to the point that nothing's being communicated and it's all just um, angry shouting. So when the counselor jumps in and and interrupts you like just repeatedly throughout the course of the session, that can be a very frustrating experience. Don't quit. That's our job. <laughs> that's, that's my disclaimer. Don't quit. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what you're hiring us to do. Um, and it's all in the point, it's all for the purpose of creating awareness and building vulnerability, building intimacy, and then learning to ride through that much like an emotional wave and be safe on the other side so that you can do it again and again and again, more frequently in your own home, down the road. And that will then become your new habit instead of the habit of, uh, devolving into name calling or egg throwing or whatever, whatever goes on in your house. Hopefully you're not throwing eggs at each other. It's very weird. I don't even know why that popped into my head, but, uh, but you don't want to be, um, you don't want to be throwing anything. We don't, uh, we don't embrace or endorse violence here. Um, but if you're, if you're, um, arguing and nobody's being heard, chances are pretty good that you're papering over the, the, um, the, the interaction and calling it communication, but really what you're doing is you're just, you're just shouting so that you can hear your own voice and prove how right you are as opposed to calming down and actually listening. And so um, where we would move from there in this session is wherever uh, the couple wanted to go. If they felt like they, they had a good experience, they got heard, I might ask them to do it again with a different topic. We might bring up something more um, more vulnerable, like, like sexual intimacy, that's very vulnerable, uh, substance abuse. If, if one party thinks the other's drinking too much, we'll go there. But generally we just want to talk to be heard. And, and I'll start with something very vague, like, you know, tell Bob, tell Terry that the, you like the color of my coffee table, you know, something like that. It's just very silly and it just kind of keeps you in the cognitive realm. and doesn't go too deep. And if they're able to progress through that, um, I can, I know that they're, be, they're ready for a bigger wave, a deeper wave, if you will. And then uh, the more we practice that, the more I can say, see, you did it. See, this isn't broken. See, you are going somewhere. See, this is worth saving. Um, and we can build on values and, and uh, you know, fundamental building blocks and what, what they like each other, about each other and why they've stayed together this long. And, you know, return to all the positive stuff that brought them together. We don't, we don't necessarily want to dwell on the stuff that's driving them apart. Uh, if there's fundamental problems that need to be fixed, yeah, we'll fix them. But um, we want to steer away from what's called content uh, and go into process. And that's very similar to an, an individual counseling experience as well. So I will leave you with, uh, one little nugget. And that is, if you want to improve your communication, learn to listen first. Um, there's lots of scripture that says this in the Bible, that if you want to be first, you must first be last. If you want to lead, you need to learn how to follow. Um, and then there's a, there's the, the age old quote that says you have two ears and one mouth and you should use them in that proportion. If you find yourself talking more than you're listening in your relationship, try to invert that. Try to listen more than you talk. And sometimes what I've found in my profession, and I, I will attest as I put my hand in the air, uh, if my wife is listening, I don't always do this at home, even though my profession literally tells me to teach people how to do it. I don't always listen often enough. But if you can listen without speaking and simply validate Oftentimes the problems just go away on their own because all people want to do is be heard. That's, that's, that's it. They just want to be heard. They don't want stuff solved. They just want to be heard. They don't even want to be understood sometimes. They just want to be heard. So take that nugget. I hope it works for you. And, um, 
as always, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org, and I'll try to take these inquiries uh, into the podcast. I hope you found this valuable, and I hope you share it with others. Remember, it uh, you know it doesn't doesn't do any good locked up in my head or locked up on this podcast. Make sure it it makes the rounds. So please share it around with your your friends and family so that they too can learn to communicate and we can all live in peace, harmony, and love together. Uh, As always, I wish you all great mental wellness. I'll see you back again next week. Bye-bye.